Welcome to Cool Mom 101 with Emily Kylo. Every week, she's bringing inspiring guests to help you embrace motherhood the cool mom way. Emily knows firsthand being a mom is hard AF, but she's passionate that doesn't need to be the end of the story. Shift your perspective on what it means to be a mom while learning practical tips and mom hacks you can use right away. Stay you while nailing the mom game. That's what being a cool mom is all about. Class is now in session. Here's your host, Emily Kylo. Hello, gorgeous goddesses, and welcome back to the Cool Mom 101 podcast. I'm your host, Emily Kylo, and I'm so, so grateful to each and every one of you. Thank you for being here. And to those of you who share the podcast, send this to a friend that you know is going to love it. I love you even more for that. So thank you. And please keep doing that because that's how more women get to hear this incredible information and meet these incredible fucking women that I'm interviewing. So please continue to share, rate, review. That's how more people get to hear from the Cool Mom HQ and this podcast. So I love you and I appreciate you. Thank you. So before we get into today's episode, I wanted to give you a quick rundown of what's going on right now at Cool Mom HQ. So I am starting the Confidence Crush course very soon, so make sure you sign up uh, at bit.ly slash confidence crush. So are you ready to crush your confidence and live your purpose? then look no further than this course. In these four weeks, you'll learn all the tips and practices to build your confidence in your business, yourself, your relationships, and with money. That's really going to allow you to step into your power and live your purpose. And who who doesn't want that? And you get to spend some time with me. So yes, head to bit.ly slash confidence crush for all the juicy deets and to sign up. And then I have my elite one-on-one coaching options available right now, super limited spots. So make sure if you have been thinking about it and being called to do this, get on in. So Cool Biz Academy is if you are starting a business or super new, and we really go from A to Z in building that business and brand for you. So if that's where you're at, that's Cool Biz Academy. And if you are in that next level where you are really wanting to scale your business, you want to hit that six-figure year, you want to have branding that really represents who you are and what your messaging is, that's Master of Cool Biz. So make sure you get into one of these programs if you have been called. So you might have been doing every course under the sun and really not following through and actually starting that business, get in Cool Biz Academy. Or if you're ready to really scale your business and upgrade your branding and really your marketing, your PR, your social, all the things I'm really an expert in, then you need to get your booty in master of cool biz. Okay. So that is the deets on my elite one-on-one coaching and confidence crush. There's lots of ways to work with me and get up in my energy. And that's pretty much it. And I want to say before we get into this podcast too, this was a perfect time to be doing the intro for this amazing guest because I just did an incredible breathwork session that was within this program I'm taking called Queen Alchemy. So some of you have probably seen me talk about it on my Instagram and tag Monica Yates. She is really an expert in feminine energy, periods, men and women, and the differences between how to communicate with them, and just a lot of different things, really. She's a powerhouse. But we did a group breathwork session, and it was 
fucking incredible. I just, it reminded me why I love breath work so much. So I would definitely recommend to everyone and I'll get into why I'm talking about breath work because the guest, she's an amazing breath work practitioner. So it was just perfect timing. So breath work is incredible, an incredible modality. And I would highly recommend everybody go get yourself familiar with it. And Candice, who is our guest today, is an incredible resource for that. So make sure you tune in and check that out. It really is something that gets you into your body and out of your head, which is so, so important, especially if you're someone like me who tended to hang out a lot in your masculine energy. If you have any trauma, it's great for releasing that. It's just a beautiful practice. So with that, let's get to episode 62. So this week I'm joined by Candice Farrell, the founder of Health by Candice. And Health by Candice is a multi-dimensional wellness approach that incorporates lifestyle upgrades with energetic healing in the form of breath work, Reiki, sound, and yin yoga. So she is just really a wellness and healing powerhouse. And I absolutely loved talking to her and loved getting to know her. And I know, I know y'all are going to too. So we talk about her journey with health and wellness and what that looks like as daily practices for her. We touched on the confusing overwhelm that can come with what's quote unquote healthy and what's not and why it's best to experiment and find what really works for you and your body. We chat about the truth about inulin fiber, which was really interesting and why you might want to swap it out for something called Akasha fiber. We also touch on the basics of breath work and how she's seen this modality transform things for her clients and herself and her decision to practice sobriety and what ultimately led her there. And she was so open and vulnerable. And I really, really appreciated that. So let's get to it. This is episode 62 featuring Candice from Health by Candice. So welcome to the show, Candice. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. It's so nice to connect with my fellow Vancouverites. Yes. So before we started recording, somehow I missed this, but Candice is a Vancouver girl at heart and always, she told me. (laughs) Always. I've been in LA now for almost six years and I just, I still have this like deep calling for home. So yeah, it's a beautiful place. We're really lucky to call Vancouver home for sure. Mm-hmm. I agree. Okay, let's get right into the mom fashions. Are you ready? I think so. Let's do it. <laughs> What's the best part of being a mom? Oh my goodness. The best part about being a mom. Oh my God. I love being a mom so much. And I wanted to be a mom first, like my whole life. And I especially wanted a little girl. And I'm only having one kid. So I'm just so grateful for it all. But I think the best thing is seeing life through her eyes and getting to kind of relive everything and and just yeah just getting to see the world through a child's lens especially your own child's lens not only seeing it through their lens but also helping to create that lens for them and being responsible for a portion of of that for them it's really cool Mm -hmm. i love that part too that's really beautiful So switching gears, what's the hardest lesson you've learned so far as a mom? Oh boy. Yeah. Well, we both have Sagittarius babies, which we were chatting a little bit before. So that's fun (laughs) as a Virgo mama having the wild child. 
But I think the hardest part for me, um, being totally honest, is learning how to let go of control. I spent a lot of my life trying to control everything that was around me. And it did make sense in some ways as I was growing up, just like creating structure and creating control. But I learned when you're pregnant, when you have a baby, and just with the way they are, is there's a huge surrender factor that has to come into place. And I'm embracing it more now. Three and a half years later, it's starting to feel more natural. But I went through a lot um, having to face that. It, it was challenging for sure. Mm-hmm. And I can relate to that so much because I am almost two and a half years in now to my parenting journey. And I similarly feel like I've just started to, if I'm being honest with myself, <laughs> just started to change my mindset around that. And like you said, kind of embrace the surrender. I think I was on paper, quote unquote, doing it before, but I wasn't really letting go. Mm-hmm. And we talked a little bit about this before the show too. It's You don't know like what your kid is going to be like and you have ex- probably have expectations, yeah. which I would advise you just don't. Um, <laughs> and so then learning to kind of reconcile and let go of these expectations has been so big. And that's been such a part of the surrendering process for me. Yeah. And not really getting too far into the future too, like kind of being present as well, because you do have those expectations and you're trying to do, trying to kind of guide things in a certain direction, but you'll kind of miss all the beauty and all the fun and just being in, in the moment. So that's fun. It's, it's not easy, but it, it's good once you get used to it for all those new mamas out there. Yes, absolutely. It'll get better. It'll get easier. <laughs> Two to three years in, you're just really going to start liking it. A couple <laughs> mental breakdowns later, you're going to be fine. Don't worry about it. It's going to be great. So, Candice, what is your daily ritual? So, you're a very busy mama, entrepreneur, health expert, all the amazing things you do. And I know that for most women I talk to, their rituals are such a huge part of how they can stay grounded. So I'd love to hear from you. What is your daily ritual? Okay. So my, da- my personal daily rituals, not like my mama rituals. Okay. So that's a good question. I like to have a little bit of a kind of like bookend my days, like have a bit of a morning routine and a nighttime routine. And then I try to sprinkle what I call anchors throughout the day. And it's not going to always look the same because it's pretty much no mom has like a set day that's always the same. But in the morning, I'll get up. Um, so hopefully I can get up before Vivian. But if she's on a rampage and she's getting up at five in the morning, we'll come downstairs <laughs> together and I do my morning pages. So it's just kind of, it's like a, kind of like a gratitude practice, but I have a lot of cool other fun things that I throw in there. You can download it off my website. I, cre- I wanted to create it for my my community just because I've, feel really good about what I've created. And that takes about five minutes. I always have a lot of water to start my day, like a ton of water. Then I'll have my matcha. Hopefully I can go for a walk. So I kind of try to like get moving. I hopefully can step outside, get some sunlight, maybe put my feet on the grass, hydrate and do some gratitude. That's kind of the morning, but it, it goes different directions. And throughout the day, the anchors that I I've been doing recently is I've been doing red light therapy. I have one of the Juve 
lights that everyone was talking about, and I've, I've had it for about a month, and I've noticed, surprisingly, the thing I've noticed the most is my mental health. Like, I've noticed such an increase in, like, moments where I usually, it's weird. I can only describe it as, like, feeling like like the old me, which is a weird mm-hmm. way to say it, but, like, feeling, like, really optimistic, really happy, really positive, and just really, really good mentally. So that's been good for me. And then I try to do yin yoga. Yin has been crazy for me in terms of releasing stress, trauma, anxiety. Because previously in my old life, I was like a cardio queen and, you know, high intensity, like got to like be hardcore. And don't get me wrong. I like that. But slowing down is is kind of the name of the game for me these days. I'm trying to think if there's anything else I really do during the day. I do a lot of essential oils during the day. And then at night, I like to do breath work. I love to do that. I usually only do like a shorter practice daily. And then a couple of times a month, I'll do a more intense practice. And then I do kind of like a little five-minute mommy routine it's not like extensive because my daughter's still up at this point, but I'll just go in, wash my face. And when I wash my face, I kind of picture myself washing off the day. This is when I put my phone away, you know, brush my teeth, just like have like five minutes for myself. And then I listen to a meditation before bed. Mm-hmm. I've been really into hypnotherapy meditations lately too. I use an app called Breathe, B-R-E-E-T-H-E. And I've tried all the apps and this is the one I like the most. Okay. I love all of this because I'm very passionate about my routines in the day and also just hearing from others what they do. I think it's so powerful because it gives me new ideas. I'm like, yes, this is why I love this question. Okay. And I have a couple of follow-up questions to that because <laughs> I'm just personally very curious and I'm sure anyone listening will be. Okay. What matcha do you use? First of all. Because there's so much out there. Question. There is. And people get thrown off if they don't get a good one because they're like, oh, it's bitter. It's gross. So you have to get ceremonial matcha. It's expensive and it comes in the tiniest little jars, which is ridiculous. But <laughs> you won't like it if you don't get ceremonial. The one I use is called Chafinity. So it's kind of like infinity, but it starts with a C-H-A. And it's really good. It's not bitter. It's great. Mm. Okay. That's awesome. I've oh, been- I have another hot tip for the matcha though, for yeah, people yeah. that are feeling like it's bitter, they can't get used to it. I put in like a teaspoon of maca. Do you know, have you heard of maca? Yes. Yeah. It's like an energizing kind of adaptogen and it's got a natural sweetness to it. So that helps kind of sweeten it up. Totally. You know what else I think I haven't tried it, but as we're talking, I'm thinking this might work well too. I have inulin powder and it naturally is a little bit sweet too. So I bet that yeah. would work if you have that. Yeah. Yeah. I have a little bone to pick with inulin though, which oh. I want to share with you because oh, I, please I would do. Love. So I got really into the inulin thing too. I heard it from the skinny confidential and her friend from France or whatever. It's like, this is like the best thing in the world. It keeps you full, lots of fiber, but it actually helps feed the bad bacteria more than the good bacteria in your gut. So there's another type of fiber that my doctor said is way better. It's called acacia fiber. So A-C-A-C-I-A. And it, does, it's, it works the exact same. I've been replacing that in my coffee. You don't taste it. It doesn't, it doesn't have the sweetness. I don't know if inulin 
and does have the sweetness, but it's better for your belly and it does all the same things. Oh, hot tip. See, this is why you need to discuss these things. You I know. Learn, I was so shocked. New. I was like, all these things that I thought I was doing that were good for my gut, I'm, I'm going through a little bit of like a, a little gut issue. And my doctor was like, that's not the best. That's not the best. I was like, oh, that's like the confusing part about wellness. So, yeah. Yes. And I think for me too, as someone who I'm kind of, you know, I've always run parallel to those types of things where I'm not teaching it or in it, but I love it. And so, you know, I'm always trying to learn new and always trying to improve, improve upon what I'm doing. And it does get overwhelming and confusing because someone will come and say, this is the best thing, but there's always caveats. It's like, yeah, for example, let's take fermented foods right. as a good example. You'll hear everyone say, you have to add fermented foods. It's so good for you. Yes. If your gut is healthy, it's healthy. You're so, so right. same kind of concept to what you're saying about inulin. If your gut is all fucked up, mm -hmm. that is actually just going to feed it more. It's that's exactly right. That is another thing that my doctor told me about is, and people really go hard on probiotics these days. So like, here's the thing with wellness. And this is something that I always, always, always try to like really reiterate to my friends, my clients, my loved ones is it's your own health journey. You have to take it in, onto your own responsibility to experiment. That's my favorite way to look at health. Experiment. Take something in for a month. Take it out. Fuck around. Like, Don't expect someone to give you a worksheet and tell you exactly what to do because that's not empowering and that's not going to work for you. You have to put in the work to kind of sort through the chaos of like all those quote unquote wellness experts out there. And like, I've even been that person that's like, this is the best, this is the best. And as I went on my journey, it's like, oh, no, this is a fact I'm going to tell you, but you have to, or like, this is info I'm going to tell you, but you really need to see what works for you and what doesn't because we're all so, so, so unique. Absolutely. And it really grinds my gears. It gets me a little frustrated, actually a lot, but when people kind of to your point, they say, oh, this is the way you have to eat. Like mm -hmm. you have to be vegan. And I find I'm not throwing shade at vegan community, but vegans are like that. Paleo communities like that, where it's like, this is the only way. And it's like, no, that's actually not the only way. And that might work super well for some people. And for other people, doesn't work. And experimenting is so key. And I agree with you 1000%. And I'm someone who's kind of like, hacked myself all the time. I'm like, yeah. okay, well, I'll try this for a few months. Yeah. See how I go. And for example, when I went pretty like hardcore vegetarian, I that didn't work very well for me. I was like, I need some high quality meat sometimes. Like it didn't work well for me. But that probably works really well for some people. And the, the good part about that is even though it's confusing in the beginning and it can feel really overwhelming, is if you keep up with it, eventually you you get to the main kind of point for me of like health is you get to really know yourself and you get really self-aware and then you can actually hear, you cut through all the noise on like the internet and whatever. And you're like, this food doesn't feel good with me. Oh, actually meat does feel good with me. And um, meditation or maybe a walking meditation feels better than a seated meditation. You just, you really get in touch with yourself. So it's, and it isn't easy. It's a long journey, but I think that's much more beneficial than just listening to what other people tell you to do. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Amen to that.
Amen to that. Yep. So Candice, what are you most grateful for in your life right now? Oh my gosh, this pandemic has really brought things into perspective, hasn't it? I am most grateful right now just for the really simple fact that I'm at home. I have a, a beautiful home, a roof over my head. I have food in the fridge. I'm not really stressed about finances, which really breaks my heart. Just how many I've I've spent most of my life struggling really financially. So I'm just really grateful that I don't have to worry about basic necessities right now. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Now this question gets a little deep for you. What is your why for your life? So what gets you up in the morning, continuing to work on your wellness, continuing to support your clients, giving your energy to your daughter, your partner, etc. What is your why for your life? I love deep questions. As a coach, I'm like, yeah, give me the juicy questions. My why, and this came to me when I was doing plant medicine two years ago when I was first diagnosed with an autoimmune condition. My big why in life is to heal, to heal myself, to heal a long line of ancestral trauma and addiction in my family. And a big, big, big part of that is for my daughter so I can be a good example for her and so I can kind of guide her in a new direction so she doesn't have to continue on that lineage of of trauma you know it's I think yeah it's definitely to try to heal my family heal myself so my daughter and it it radiates out into my my husband into my clients and to myself but all my life, I wanted to be a mom. I always told myself, I want to have a daughter so I can, I can kind of make right all the things that I didn't get to have and all of the kind of pain that, that I experienced growing up with a mom that, you know, because of her own problems was, was deeply struggling with addiction. So that's my, that's my journey. Wow. Thanks for sharing that. That's really, really beautiful. And when you do, I'm a firm believer that when we heal ourselves and, and work on healing the trauma, it does have a ripple effect because it not only you are someone who works with clients, so it definitely ripples to your clients, to your family, to your daughter, but like you were mentioning, it goes through generations as well. So if your daughter chooses to have children, it's going to affect her children, children's right. children. There's a quote, it's like a woman who heals herself heals many. And it's just, you know, and that's the kind of where that flip of the word selfish is so important and why so, I especially feel like feminine, like the divine feminine in our global climate is so important and for women to really put themselves first and to heal themselves because it just multiplies in so many ways. Absolutely. I'd love to hear from you what has really helped you on your journey to healing some of the trauma that you have had. What has been really useful? I guess in the beginning, what was most useful was allowing myself to feel, which meant getting sober. Getting sober, um, I had all sorts of addictions. I was addicted to the gym. I, was, I had eating disorders. I was addicted to my own stress. I was addicted to drugs and alcohol. So that kind of peeling back those layers was definitely the most... Before that, I had tried other things like therapy and I don't know. I guess I, I don't even know what I did. Journaling. I don't know. I guess I was 
trying, but when you don't really allow yourself to look at yourself and to face everything and you're still relying on so many crutches, that's not really going to get you anywhere. So I would say sobriety was the most powerful. And then surrounding myself with people that kind of pulled me forward. I, I really believe that a big part of my healing journey was when I met my husband and he was already sober. He had already dealed with a, dealt with a lot of um, emotional baggage in his life. And he saw me, he didn't see me as someone who like was damaged or who had issues. He saw me in a different way and that helped me see myself in a different way and helped me kind of move forward and say, oh no, maybe, maybe I can be different. So that's something important I always tell people to try to do is surround yourself with people that see you in the best version of yourself or see you as the person you want to be. Then after that, I would say it was just kind of going on a, on a deeper journey of like more of like energetic healing. So that's kind of when the breath work, kundalini yoga, um, plant medicine came in. I've done a lot of therapy, but nothing really helped in the way the energetic work did. Mm -hmm. I find it's so interesting to talk about this because I think it's not often talked about how we move through trauma aside from sometimes people say, oh yeah, I went to therapy and it helped. And I'm not saying therapy doesn't help. I think I think for me, it got me to a certain point. And, and maybe it was part of, as I'm hearing you speak, I think it was part of being able to face the things and feeling okay even talking about them. Because I think I, partly because I was young, I just kind of swept under the rug and carried on and used crutches similar to yours, um, alcohol, eating disorder, to kind of deal with that pain. Yeah. So I think therapy did get me to a certain point where I could talk about it a little bit. But similar to what you're saying, until I, and I still have work to do, but until I started doing things like breath work, things like kind of that emotional disconnection in a way, once you understand the emotion, then going back and deciding a different story about it, that was yeah. really helpful for me too. I don't know what people want to call that, but <laughs> that really yeah. helped me too. It's like, it doesn't, just because I had an eating disorder, it doesn't mean anything about me. That right. really oh, helped me. I don't I know what we that. call that, but it really helped. <laughs> I feel like it's like an attachment to, mm -hmm. we kind of, we box ourselves in. That's, that's definitely become like a huge passion of mine for my message is like, we have to stop boxing ourselves in. Like we can be everything. We can be someone who has a past and who's done stuff, but we can still be a good person and we can be you know, there's so many examples of it. Like, I feel like mothers, especially, and you're big on this, like can't be sexy and be a mom and can't be spiritual and like care about designer stuff. Like, it's just like all these weird, like stories we tell ourselves. It's like, no, we're human. We have it all. We've, we've been fucked up. We've been enlightened. We've been down. We've been up. And, and it's just embracing that. And I feel like if you've done bad things in your life, like for example, if you were like an addict, you kind of you feel so bad about it for so long until a certain point. Once it's kind of like, at least this is my own journey. It's like once you've, once you've done enough good and you've gotten to a good enough place, then you can look back on your past with gratitude and be like, okay, 
this kind of, this actually got me somewhere. This taught me a lot of lessons, but sometimes we feel so much shame about what we've done or where we ended up. And we, oh, like, I can't believe I became an addict when my mom was an addict. Like, I thought I would never do that. And you just beat yourself up. But eventually, you can kind of look back on these things and detach from that label and look at it as just a part of the experience. Absolutely. A part of the journey that, and I know this is a cliche, but once you get it, it does really, for me, it it does have meaning, but those parts of my journey have made me the person I am. And if I didn't right. go through the things I went through, I don't think I'd be as empathetic as I am. Right. As understa- I have no judgment, like absolutely none. I'm like, yeah, like <laughs> I've done all these things like, and it doesn't, Same. I know that I'm a good person. And so if someone is telling me their past, and it has things like addiction that some people might think, oh gosh, like that's a big thing. I'm like, yeah. oh, wow, okay. Like it, I don't have that judgment towards it. And I don't, I don't know that I would be that way if I hadn't gone through what I went through. I agree. And just like the awareness that people can change. I hate the line, like people don't change. I'm like, that is bullshit. Like it's hard, but people can change. And when someone does change, I feel like, you know, they deserve to be honored and to be, to be celebrated. Cause like I said, it's not easy, but it's definitely possible to change. Mm-hmm. So I know a huge change for you was, and you kind of mentioned it, but was moving into sobriety. Mm-hmm. And I would love to hear from you how that journey came about and really how you got to where you are now. Yeah, it's fun. It was, it was a wild ride. So Oh my God, it's just crazy where I was before. So I was in, before I got sober, I was working in bars. I was just running hard and somehow, it's crazy, but I ended up, it was quite normal for me to be doing drugs and drinking every day, like just all the time, like just, just a little bit all day, every day. And it was it was really bad. I was really in a really dark place looking back on it. It's crazy to me that that was normal. Then I moved home from Toronto to Vancouver to get my life together in quotes. I was 28. I was like, okay, this is it. I've been partying for like six years. I'm going to become a realtor. I'm going to get my shit together. And I met my husband like two weeks later. He was in Vancouver and I was in Vancouver. And we just started being together like 24-7. Of course, I didn't tell this amazing, successful, smart, pretty much sober man that um, I am an addict and I'm trying, I just decided I was going to get sober. So, and he did know, it's not like I hid it from him, but I don't, he didn't know how bad it was and how recent it was, but thank God for him. I was, we were always around each other and it really forced me to like get it together quicker because I didn't want to lose this amazing human that kind of came into my life by a miracle. So at that point, I totally quit doing drugs. That was like a no bueno. But he, we did travel a lot and we would have drinks. So at that point, drugs, they were gone. I was done with that, thank God. But at then I kind of got, in, I had a problem with alcohol at that point because it was all I really had. I had never had a problem with alcohol before. It was more a gateway to get to drugs, I guess. Sounds so bad, but it's just being honest. And then 
I started actually becoming the worst I had ever been when I was just drinking because I would get blackout drunk. I would, we would get, you know, I would say stupid stuff and just, it was, it was getting really ugly actually. And he was kind of like, okay, you need to figure this out. This is, this is not good. So I kept saying, I'm going to, going to stop, going to stop, going to stop, going to get it together. Kind of had highs and lows. And then over like the next year and a half that we were together, we had started to talk about having a daughter. And when we started talking about that, I was like, I don't know. I just went into like crazy focused mode and I was like, okay, no, this is it. I really need to take a big leap. I can't just be like, oh, I'm going to cut back or I'm going to only have, you know, one drink. So it, this was right when I turned 30 from and 30 really hit me really weird. I don't know why I had a really hard time with it. I was, didn't have a career. I wasn't a mom yet. It just was the time kind of the reality of time really kind of hit me in the face. So when I turned 30, I jumped over the ledge in a big way. I said, I'm going to quit drinking for a year. That was, I didn't want to say I'm going to quit drinking forever. I was like, I'm going to do it, but I'm going to go pretty hardcore a year. And that was the year that I also signed up for my nutrition school. It was the year I signed up for life coaching school, started going to Kundalini yoga, started getting into acupuncture, Reiki. And I had this insane year of just fully committing to myself. And I think it was the first time that I ever really did that. And then I got pregnant with like two months left in the year. So then I went on to almost two years of being completely sober. And yeah, it was just the best. I'm just so grateful that I was able to do that. And I'm, I'm so, I, I truly believe in the power of committing to yourself and going 100%. I think with addiction, it's, it's really hard to change. Aside from um, eating disorders, which is something that's totally different and a lot harder because you can't stop eating. <laughs> You know. can't, like I'm going to cut out food and just not think about it anymore. But when it comes to um, alcohol or drugs, I think, you know, really committing to it is really important. And replacing, replacing all the kind of room in your brain with other things. Like I think for me, filling that void with like, like I said, the nutrition and, and just crowding out all of the bad stuff with good stuff was, was the only key that I was able to do it. So, you know, after I had my daughter, now I can have you know a glass of champagne or a sip of wine, and I, I don't even finish it. Like I just have no craving for it whatsoever, and that's because I've healed on such a deeper level. You know, because most of the time, if we're being honest, I know a lot of people you know socially drink, and it's fine for them, but a lot of the times we're just trying to like numb our pain, and it, I'm not saying that that's totally wrong think we're human. It's kind of nice to be able to numb a little bit, but it's a fine line between it being unhealthy and, and not healthy. Mm, absolutely. Thank you so much for sharing that. I think it's really inspiring to hear how you were able to just decide like, fuck this. This is not what I want for my life. Mm -hmm. And of course, it's not as simple as deciding. But what I mean by that is you like you had that commitment and I think that's really admirable and I think it, it can give people hope whether it's um, alcohol or food addiction or right. anything or even just things like being too addicted to social media and watching a yeah. lot of TV because it's not on the same 
level, so to speak, but it is an addiction. And the to your point, the more you do that stuff, the less you're able to grow and learn and fill your brain with all these beautiful things. So yeah, it's to let go. It's not easy, but I think it's truly deciding definitely does simplify it. It doesn't make it simple, but it simplifies it and it helps you just focus so much because these addictions are just so easy to slip back into if you don't kind of commit 100%. So I always have my friends, they're like, oh, I'm going to do like dry January or sober October. And because I am pretty much sober, like people look to me as a sober person, even though I'll have wine on Shabbat or whatever. They, they'll always reach out to me and be like, I want to quit drinking so bad. Like, I'm so sick of this. What do I do? I'm going to do a month. And I'm like, you got to do at least three months. Because you're not like the first month, you're just just trying to get by, really. Like, it's hard, right? And then the second month, it gets a little easier. And then the third, fourth, fifth month, can you, then you start to really take off. Then you, then you really see what life is like without alcohol. That was a big thing for me. I was like, okay, I'm 30 years old. I've been drinking since I was like, freaking like 12 probably or 14. It's like, what is it like to be an adult that isn't using substances? And it's crazy because it's actually pretty wild. Once you get to that, like let's say four months in, you're like, holy shit, this is usually quite a bit better. And it's, it's just really enlightening to be able to have that comparison. So if you do go back to drinking, you know, hey, I'm going to drink tonight. This is going to be fun. But I do feel so much better when I don't drink. Like you have that hard and fast comparison of how your life is mentally, physically, emotionally without it and with it. And then you can make educated decisions. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And I'll share for me, because I have gone so many different time periods of not drinking at all. Like I know pregnancy was one of them, but even now it's like, it's probably been a couple months, really. It was like Christmas maybe. I don't even know, but it's, it's exactly your point for me. Now I have the comparison. So I yeah. once in a while, socially, I do like to drink. Right. And I know that it's coming from a place of I'm having fun. I'm amplifying it. It is, I will not let myself drink to your point about numbing because at the beginning of the pandemic, for example, and I think a lot of people can relate to this, yes. the fear of what the fuck is going on. I'm alone. Uh, you know, you're kind of at home alone a lot. I was like, oh, I guess I'll have a few glasses of wine. Right. And that was happening way too much for me the first couple months. And I was like, okay, no, 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 no. I'm like, yeah, so I am not doing that. that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it, it was hard. And it, uh, yeah, I totally, totally know how hard that was. I think we've all had some type of phase where it's like, whatever it is, we leaned on it. Mm-hmm. Yes, absolutely. And so that was the journey for me of being like, no, I'm only doing this when these things all collide where it's, I'm already having a lot of fun. It's not to make myself have more fun. And it feels like, okay, yes. And like you said, I know the calculated risks that tomorrow I might not feel as amazing as I did today. (laughs) And I know that. (laughs) I love that. It sounds like you're really self-aware about it. And that's like the point, right? Let's be self-aware. Let's like, it's the same as like eating like whatever, like trashy food. It's like, if it feels good, if you want to do it, do it. But like, let's do it from a self-aware place. Let's just Mm -hmm. not just like go on autopilot and take a bit more ownership of our life. Absolutely. 
So once, I guess your journey into wellness kind of coincided with your journey into sobriety, it sounds like. So I'd love to hear how you kind of got started and you kind of touched on that a little bit and how you progressed through your journey to where you are now. Yeah, it's a good question. I love this question because it's, it's cool the way it actually did develop. So from a very young age, and I don't really know where this came from, I think it was like intuition that moving my body helped me process my emotions. So I remember being like really, really young, like probably like eight years old, and I would like go for runs and I would do like sit-ups and I was like doing push-ups and I would just physically move my body a lot. And so that was just, I don't even know when that started, but it started really young and I'm guessing it was a way to kind of get away from what was going on in my home or just to feel better. And then as I got older, it actually ended up becoming an unhealthy thing where it was like I became started doing it too much and I was like really focused on my body and um, going to the gym, counting calories. But And then as I kind of went through my journey of like getting to know myself on a deeper level, I still carried that deep love of wellness, but I was able to actually flip it into something really healthy. So I had a little bit of like a roller coaster with, with wellness, like what it meant to me. There was times when it was like coming from an unhealthy place. But then once I got sober, once I started getting in touch with my body more and that love affair of nutrition, I was able to kind of go deeper of like, what does nutrition really look like for me? Like, what do I love about like food and, and how am I going to make myself feel the best? How am I going to make myself live from a quality place? And that was, yeah, the journey when I, when I got sober and I dove really deep into all that. So what, during that year, it was more of like, I just loved nutrition. I just loved fitness, that kind of a thing. And then after I had my daughter, I, when I had my daughter, I was like the healthiest person you could ever imagine. I was sober. I only ate organic. Like I was eating the most bougie LA, like green juices, you know, on paper, I looked like the healthiest person in the world, but I still had a really, really, really deep attachment to anxiety and a fear complex. I, I just could not shake this constant fear in my body that like something bad was going to happen. And this is something that stems when you grow up in a household that's very chaotic. That's all you've ever known. Like when things are going good, you're like, what the fuck? Something bad's about to happen. This is so, I'm so uncomfortable with things going well. So after I had my daughter, I got diagnosed with an autoimmune condition called Graves. It's an overactive thyroid disorder. And that hit me so hard because it was like, I'm doing everything right. I don't understand. And that was for me a huge turning point in my whole idea of what nutrition means, what wellness means, what mental health means what I want for myself, how I want to show up in the world, how I want to coach people, what my purpose is and how I'm going to lead. And so that was when I had to go very deep into healing on a more emotional, energetic level. And that's kind of what's brought me through to today. So back then I was coaching people on nutrition and getting, and getting healthy and it was great. And I wasn't like telling people just to lose weight. I was a lot more expansive than that. But now the way I work with people is it's on a multi-dimensional sort of way. It's like, okay, yes, we want to eat well. Yes, we want to love ourselves. But 
like what's really going on in your body what's what are where are your fears coming from like what let's peel back the layers here and let's let's go deep and that's that's kind of my evolution it was kind of a it was kind of shallow and then over the years it's gotten quite deep at this point the the work i do with people now with breath work is I would argue like some of the deepest work that people can do. It's really cool. Yes. I was introduced to breath work recently, which I love. It was in September of 2020. So not even a year ago. And I went to a retreat. It was kind of a soulful entrepreneur retreat. So kind of like a spiritual entrepreneur retreat. Yeah. And Everly went with me. So we went together and that's where I was first introduced to breath work. And for me, as someone who was on this journey of healing and had a lot of trauma that I still hadn't really... The way I've started to understand trauma too is that it, it lives a lot in the body. And 100%. so, yeah, so and you all know a lot more about this than me. But what for me, I was like, okay, I do need some sort of release. And that, it was so like click... I was like, oh, this is the type of shit I need because it just got me out of my head completely. And so when I went into, it was one of the kind of like a group session. I went in with the intention to let go of the shame I was still kind of carrying around about the sexual abuse that I had experienced. And I, I, I could just, I knew I was still kind of carrying it around, even though I can talk about it. I don't get like an emotional reaction to it when I talk about it now at all. I'm like, yeah, this happened. Kind of like that detachment we were talking about. Yeah. But I think I intuitively knew there was still something to get out of there and probably still is a bit. But breathwork is so fucking cool for that. So I would love for you to tell us. So if anyone listening has never heard of breathwork, can you walk us through what it is and yeah. how it really supports your clients? Absolutely. But first, I just want to honor you for showing up for yourself and to, and to digging into that within your body. Because like you said, you can go to therapy, you can talk about it, but it's pretty intense to connect to that physical trauma that's living in your body. So good for you. I'm glad that you're digging in and letting it out because I always tell people what you put in your body is important, but what you surrender is just as important or even more. You know, you can eat every salad and green juice in the world, but if you have trauma locked in your cells, it's, it's not going to get you anywhere. You're still going to like end up sick or whatever. So that's beautiful. And you said you literally like know so much about it. The way you were describing it was absolutely perfect. I was like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, that's right. <laughs> like it gets you out of your mind. So breath work is an active meditation. What is the point of meditation? To get you out of your mind and to drop into your body. The body has innate wisdom. It has knowledge. It has its own vocabulary. It has, it, it has so much locked in there because memory is stored in our mind, but the physical emotion and science has proven this, it lives in our cells, it lives in our fascia in particular, the connective tissue between your muscles and your bones. So having an outlet to release this is very important and society hasn't quite made this mainstream yet. Like therapy is really the only thing people really know. Like, hey, you have a problem, go talk about it. You can sort it out, compartmentalize it in your brain. But we need to have tools to let out these emotions. And breath work is a lot easier for people, specifically people that have deep-rooted traumas or just people that 
are part of like Gen Z and the millennials because it's very hard for us to sit and empty our mind. It's very, very hard. And almost anyone I talk to is like, I just can't do it. Like, I just, I don't know. I'm doing, I'm doing it wrong. I'm not getting anything out of it. So this is very tied in well to our current society. So you, you do a breathing pattern. It's all done through the mouth and it's very intense. That's another thing about breath work that people sometimes get wrong. They think it's like very relaxing and people will even show up to sessions with me and they're like, I'm like, so do you know what breath work is? Are you like prepared? They're like, no, not at all. I'm like, okay, well, it's <laughs> just letting you know it's not relaxing. That's what I, it's going to be intense, but it's going to feel good after. But um, yes, yeah, so you do the three-part breath. It's a very active meditation, but the benefit of it is it gets the energy moving particularly in your torso. If you think about your torso, that's where your gut is. That's where your second brain is, which is your gut. All, most of the chakras are in this area from your throat to your, to your um, groin. So you're getting the energy, trapped energy moving, and you're also detaching from your mind. So you're giving your body what it needs to kind of stir things up, let it come out, and then to surrender it. It's, it's, quite intense what happens. I feel like no matter who you are, no matter what's going on, if you do this active meditation for the 20, 22 minutes it is often taught, something's going to come up. It might be tears. It might be laughter. It might be jealousy, anger, rage, whatever. Something will move. And that's why I love it so much. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's really quite potent. What, what was the second part of the question? How do I how do I bring it forward with clients? Yeah, because I think it's good for people to understand what it helps with. You know, we've said broad strokes, it can help with trauma, but yeah, what do you help your clients with where that's a great modality to use? Right. Oh, well, I personally feel like it can be used for many different things. It can be used for creativity. A lot of people come in LA, they have creative blocks. You know, they want to tap in deeper to you know, whether they're actors or creators, musicians, things like that. And then pretty much everyone else that I work with usually comes because they're feeling stuck. That's the big one, feeling really stuck, feeling a block or going through. They either have really deep trauma from the past that they're trying to let go of. This is often sexual trauma, um, you know, PTSD, childhood trauma kind of things that get locked away in your subconscious that maybe a lot of the times, especially for example, with sexual trauma, people don't even really remember it. A lot of times these things happened when they were really young. So they can't exactly go to therapy and be like, okay, let me, they don't even have that even remote chance of therapy helping them because they don't remember. So those are really great um, ex specific examples of why people would come to me. But, you know, I'll use it on myself just any old time and it will often energize me. You know, it, it can really be used for anything, but I do find the most powerful sessions are people that are trying to let go of something, whether it's a blockage or whether it's a specific trauma. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And in my experience so far with it, I'm quite new to it, but that is definitely what I have found. And going in with an intention, like I said, of kind of letting go of a specific emotion or yeah. thing 
I found is really, really, I, I think for me, it was so cathartic is the word I felt. It's like, I just kind of let it all out there. And then after I was There's like, so many tears, ah. Uh, like it's an exhale after, you know, I love the group classes. It's actually so funny. And I don't even know if Amber, Amber would remember this, but she was at my first breath work. She was here with Sophie and Jennifer Jaden, who I hadn't met her either that night, but they, I had just had my daughter Vivian and they were like, Hey, come to a, a women's circle. And I, I had, I just wanted to see people. So I was like, I'll do anything. I'll go anywhere. Like, let's go. I just had a baby. Woo-hoo. <laughs> and it was a beautiful women's circle. And the last part of it was breath work. And I was so, I, this is why I love the group classes. And I was so grateful that Jennifer was there because she had been many times and she was fully comfortable in her expression. And she was wailing. She was crying. And she gave me the permission to really let it go. And I hadn't cried like that in years. I hadn't surrendered like that in years. So the group classes are so awesome for that, which I can't wait to be able to do that in person. When I work with somebody one-on-one, which is all I've been doing during the pandemic, well, actually this Sunday I have my first online healing circle, which I'm really excited about. Scary for the technology, but um, anyways, when I do the one-on-ones, it is beautiful. We do create an intention and we do talk for, you know, maybe 15 or 20 minutes before. And we, I do try to help their, their body focus in on a particular thing, maybe a particular chakra, a specific thing that they want to think about because yeah, that is really helpful for people to go into it with a little bit of, of mental direction. Mm-hmm. And with breath work, how often do you, I know there's probably not a one size fits all, but how often do you recommend people do it? So you were saying in your daily ritual, you'll do like a shorter practice. Do you do that every day? Yeah, I try to do it it? every day and I do seven minutes. I just love the number seven. (laughs) It's really easy. And at that, uh, during a shorter session like that, you get used to tapping in a lot quicker. So I'll definitely move energy. But when it comes to a full, potent, powerful session, I don't even know how, like, what the recommendation would be. I would say it, it, as much as you feel called to do it, and you have, it's, it's very exhausting emotionally and physically. So if you feel called to do it, I think follow that for sure. But realistically, I would say like once or twice a month is probably... Like I don't do a longer session more than once or twice a month because it's a full commitment. Like things going to come up. You're going to have to process it after, integrate it. And I also find doing it on your own is very hard. Even for someone like me that leads people, for me to sit myself down and just put on music and breathe for 25 minutes is very hard. So I often will get other people to teach me or to guide me or I'll, I'll um, you know, buy like a nice guided meditation that's intense. But it's definitely not something you can do too, too often just because of how kind of it is, it is the work. Like you're showing up and you're doing the work in a big way. Mm-hmm. Well, I love this idea of doing like a shorter one. And I think I'm going to start incorporating that. I actually like it at night because I think it, it makes me feel, like I said, I feel like an exhale after, even though it's intense. And I, I find it's like a nice... I can go to sleep now. (laughs) I agree. Yeah. And there's so many other breathing techniques that I love to share with people too, that you don't have to do like pranayama intense breath work. Like just like there's, there's one called four, seven, eight, that that's my favorite one to do when I'm in bed. And that's basically breathing in for four count, 
holding your breath for seven seconds. And when you hold your breath at the top, I always tell people, try to relax your shoulders because usually when we hold at the top, we're tensing up. But if you can teach yourself to relax in that pause and then slowly exhale for a count of eight, which is double the length of your inhale, because if, you, if your exhales are longer than your inhales, you are telling, you're kind of biohacking your brain and you're telling your brain everything's safe, you can relax. So there's many different breathing techniques you can do, especially before bed. Mm-hmm. I love that. I'm going to incorporate that. This is great. All right, Candice. Well, before we get to the lightning round, I would like <laughs> to... <laughs> I love these fun games. I feel like I'm on like The Price is Right or something. Dun, dun, right? <laughs> I wanted to take a moment to acknowledge you for the amazing work you're doing in helping women heal because it is sometimes the most, I don't know, underrated work that people don't understand when you heal a woman, that trickle effect we talked about is really going to heal. It's what's going to heal generations. And so the work you're doing is so, so important. And I just want to acknowledge you for how you're helping and showing up for women. Thank you. And you too. I mean, moms need a lot of support. And I think that just having like someone who's showing up with such high energy and, and you know, fun. Like, you know, it's not easy, but when you kind of add in the fun component and the community component, it's, it's really inspiring. So I, I honor you as well. Thank you. This has been such an amazing conversation. I think people are going to get a lot, a lot of value out of it. And I just, you were so open about your journey, which I really, really appreciate because I think that's how people can relate to it and think, oh, if she can do it, like, look at where you are. It's amazing. So That's a big part of my, my mission as well is let's tell our story what, no matter what it looks like because nothing heals in the dark. You have to bring it out. And it's a crazy how something can seem when it's in your head, just all to yourself. And then even if you just tell one person, all of a sudden it doesn't look so ugly anymore. Mm -hmm. So I used to be so ashamed of my story and I used to hide so much. And now I'm just like, I have to put it all out there because like I said, the very beginning, you know, people can change and pretty much everybody, even if you don't expect it has some type of, you know, ghosts in the closet or whatever they say or whatever the saying is. So yeah, thank you for, for saying that because it's important for me to share. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, thank you so much. Okay, let's get to it. Are you Lightning ready? Round. I'm ready. Lightning round. What's your favorite book? My favorite book is, I have two. My favorite book is The Gifts of Imperfection by Brene Brown. It is something, I could read it anytime and it, I'm always like, wow, aha moment after aha moment. And then I also really like A Light is the New Black by Rebecca Campbell. I love that one and it's so pretty and yeah. Oh, so you may not know this or you might. I am a huge reader. I read almost a book a week I'm at this year. Wow. I read a lot. And speaking of what you talked about before, the reason partly people are like, how do you read so much? I'm like, because I stare at screens all day and I'm sick of staring at a screen. And this is more good stuff in. (laughs) Like the more good stuff in, the less bad shit. So <laughs> love to read. And it's so funny because Light is the New Black is sitting on my nightstand. It's one of my next ones. So Oh, good. You haven't read it? Oh, that makes me happy. I can't wait for you to read it. It's, I always lend it to people and recommend it to people. It's really good. Okay. Yay. Love that. 
What is your morning beverage of choice? I think I know what you're going to say. It is matcha. I was a hardcore coffee drinker for so many years. And then when I started dealing with thyroid issues, I couldn't have caffeine for like six months when I was deep in healing. And it was, I can give up gluten, dairy, eggs, everything. But that morning cup of something was psychologically damaging. So now I'm a huge matcha girl and I don't think I'll ever go back. Yeah, I love it. Amazing. Favorite podcast? Yours. <laughs> I love yours. Yours is really cool. But my favorite one is Heal Thyself by Dr. G. He is an LA boy. He is a former doctor, an oncologist, and now he's segued into the way his podcast started is he would kind of take brands that kind of seem healthy and he would debunk them and he would really let the audience know like this is greenwashing, this is bullshit, this has toxins in it. And now he covers all sorts of wellness stuff, but I love it because it's really scientific and it's really factual, but it's also kind of woo-woo as well. And it empowers people. It's like heal thyself, you know, it's like your your health is is in your own hands. Absolutely. And I know you kind of believe this type of idea too. It's like you have to be your own guru. Like totally. It's actually not going to be in like this, you know, checklist format that if you eat these five things, you're going to be in perfect health. That's not how it works. Um, I like him too. And I think I found him from maybe the skinny confidential. That's my other favorite one. I love the skinny confidential. I love that one so much. I just, I love her and I love their dynamic. And they have the best guests, honestly. Like they have everybody. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I learn a lot from theirs. And she is someone I'm manifesting to come on my podcast because she's like obviously a fucking cool mom now. And she would love that pink. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, totally. (laughs) Totally. Okay, favorite TV show or movie? Well, my favorite movie has and always will be Pretty Woman. And it's so freaking crazy because I live like two blocks from the Beverly Wilshire Hotel now, which is so like, it never gets old for me because like I, you know, I grew up in, I never would have guessed I'd be living in LA, especially in Beverly Hills ever. So it's crazy like just to have that every day. And like, I never take it for granted. And I just love Julia Roberts. So, and Richard Gere, oh, never gets old. And my favorite current show that is super cheesy and girly, but I love it is This Is Us. Oh, this is us is so good. And Mario, my partner, actually likes it too. So we like yeah. to together. <laughs> I cry. He loves it though. He's yeah, like, my husband so well likes done. it too, but he hates the crying part. Like I love that it makes me cry because it helps me. Like I'm like, I just want to like feel. I just want to let it out. And my husband gets all like kind of uncomfortable in his skin in those moments. It's like the show is so intense, but he always watches it with me. It's good. It's so well done. It's so well done. Okay, favorite place you've traveled? I know you love to travel like me. Yeah, that's hard. I miss traveling. Oh, my first like two years of my relationship with my husband, that's like that's all we did was travel. So I'm feeling a little heartbroken. I think my favorite place, and this sounds really cliche, but it's just, it would be Paris because that was always such a dream of mine. I didn't go on a plane until I was 21 just because we were poor. Like we didn't go places. We would drive like eight hours to go on, you know, vacation to some shitty town or whatever. (laughs) But yeah, I think just being in Paris, my daughter was six months old when we went and it was just, 
I love the lifestyle there. I love the luxury, but the laid back. And it's like a little snobby, but a little loose. And it's just so beautiful. It doesn't really matter where you go. It's kind of just amazing. Mm. I can't wait to go back. I haven't really experienced it as like an adult in this type of way. So I'm so excited to go back. And Amberly and I have been like manifesting a fun trip. Yeah. Yeah. And, but I mean, there's so many places. It's hard to choose. I loved Bali too. Bali was amazing, but it's so hard to get to. Have you been? It's like 18 hours. It's a mission. Yeah, I haven't been. And I, you know, I told you too before the show, like, and everyone knows listening, probably my partner's Brazilian. So we travel to Brazil. So I don't want any more travel that takes me 30 hours. Like I'm kind of, so for me, those like Australia, Bali, those places are kind of like off my list for now because it's too far. It is. And especially with the little ones. Oh my God. We took Leo to Brazil when he was 11 months old though. And he did great. That's the other thing. I think people don't give kids enough credit for, they are quite adaptable and it was awesome. It's good when they're like that young, but once they start walking and wanting to move around, like we traveled a lot with Vivian, like talking to my point about never being on a plane until I was 21. Vivian went on a freaking plane when she was two months old. I'm like, this is crazy. Her life is so different than mine in a good way. But once she got to be someone who walked, it got really hard because they don't want to sit still. They do not want to sit still, but we haven't done it in a while. We'll see. I'm I think it gets better. Like she likes to fly now. She'll be like, let's go on the plane. And yeah, there's like a little window of time where it's like absolute hell. And then hopefully it gets easier, especially with just one. Yeah, that's kind of what I'm thinking too, is that he's probably, you know what, for us timing wise, this was probably okay for this whole no traveling for a year and a bit. Because yeah, a two-year-old, I don't think it'd be very fun, frankly, for anyone. (laughs) No. Okay, if you could jump on a plane tomorrow, where would you go? And everything was kosher or just like, okay. I really want to go to Greece. That's somewhere I would love to go. I feel like the vibe is right up my alley. I think it'd be fun for the whole family. Yeah, I think, I think Greece. I haven't been yet and it's high on my list. I think it looks just beautiful. And yeah, I do think the whole, I know like sometimes you think of it as partying and whatever, but I think it would be a good place to go with the family too. Yeah. I also want to go to Italy because then I could have gluten. (laughs) I don't eat gluten right now, but my doctors always say like, if you go to Europe, you can have gluten. I'm like, I bug my husband about it every day because he doesn't eat gluten either for no good reason, actually. (laughs) And except he's just crazy. But yeah, when we get a chance, as soon as we can, we'll be in Italy eating margarita pizza. I have heard that too from people who even have like our celiac that they sometimes are okay with with it in different places, which is a whole nother topic and somewhat scary, but very uh, scary. Yeah. I like kind of would say I just limit it. I just don't eat a lot of it. Because I think for me, if there's a threshold, if I eat too much, then I don't feel good. So right. I kind of like, it's only when I'm really interested in something that I might. I that's <laughs> better. And that's what I tell my husband too. I'm like, you shouldn't cut something out unless you absolutely have to. Like your body should be able to eat a balanced diet. But um, yeah, he's pretty intense about things. So once he's committed, it's, he's very disciplined. I'll give him that much. He's a disciplined man. Mm. You know, he's probably very secure and expressed in his masculine. Oh, <laughs> yes, he is. <laughs> yeah. As soon as you said that, I was like, 
I've been learning so much about masculine and feminine energy and what it means to me and how to, for me, of course, it was, I was much more in my masculine energy. I was like a doer constantly, a recovering perfectionist. Like it was just do, do, do. And it's funny because I'm very disciplined. Anything that comes from my years of living mainly in my masculine energy. Right. As soon as you said that, I was like, uh, that sounds like a man who he has healed his masculine and he can show up that way, which was really amazing. Yeah. I love that you brought up the masculine and feminine and the balance. And that's, that's a big, big thing. I like working with people on women, particularly because so many women are stuck in their masculine just because society's kind of pressured us into that role. But the need to embrace that more juicy, flowy, feminine side of ourselves is really helpful and productive actually for most women. So yeah, that's yes, good. absolutely. Okay, Candice, this has been amazing. And I, have yeah, I could talk to you forever. I know. I'm like, we could just go on and on here. <laughs> um, I'll have to have you back. Come back anytime. Oh, thank you. So final question for me, something I love teaching women about and helping ignite fire in this area is confidence. And so confidence, when I look at you, confidence is part of what helped you be able to commit to yourself because you had some of that confidence. I'm sure it grew a lot since then, but that confidence to say, no, I'm made for something different. Fuck this. So I would love to hear from you, Candice. How do you define confidence or what does it mean to you? I love that. I love this word, confidence. It's, it used to be something totally different to me. So now when I think of the definition for confidence, to me, it's being able to show up in the world with your shadow and your light and to accept that you're going to be a multifaceted human living a human experience instead of this perfection mindset. Like I feel like confidence before to me would have been like kind of would have kind of leaned more towards like being perfect and like, you know, being your best version of yourself and like, you know, like being a badass and like all this stuff, which I love all that too. But I think it's like comes from a self-love place and a self-acceptance place of just letting yourself be all of yourself, but knowing you're worth it and you have value even when you have a shitty day or you make a mistake. I love that because you will make a lot of mistakes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you will. And you can't, you can't just let that make you kind of curl up in a ball and hide. It's like just embracing being a human is, is so much more important than being perfect. Like we want to experience it all, you know? Mm-hmm. Yes, absolutely. Thank you so much, Candice. This has Thank been you. amazing. Everyone, right. make sure you go follow Candice. Where is the best place to find you? The best place to find me is Instagram. I feel like that's my main place that I can only kind of can only handle so much as a mom and social media. So it's at Health by Candice. And my website's linked on there, but it's also healthbycandice.com. And my husband, the masculine legend he is himself, him and I have recently started our own podcast called Legends and Lifestyles. And it's really fun. We combine his world of live entertainment and rock and roll because that's his industry and my kind of woo-woo wellness world in LA. And we mash it together and we have really interesting guests and really vulnerable conversations. And that's me. That's where people can find me. I'm, I'm really thankful to connect with your audience. And I would love for people to drop in my DMs, message me, just say hi, ask any questions. I'm always around for that. 
Amazing. Thank you so much, Candice. Thank you, Emily. Thank you for listening to Cool Mom 101 with Emily Kylo. If you liked our podcast, please be sure to leave a comment or review and be sure to tune in next time.